0: So we begin our time today uh, with a fill-in-the-blank question, and it's going to be on the screen in the next some seconds here. And whenever you know the answer, you can shout it out. Actions. Actions. Wonderful. You got it right. So uh, you all get to go home because you shouted loud, so congratulations. Uh, Yeah, the answer is actions. Actions speak louder than words. That's something we've heard before. Uh, but for today, as we begin, or as we continue to think about God's gift of mercy, uh, and today we're going to be talking about what each of our own individual ministries of mercy could look like, I want us to replace that word with something else. I want it to replace it with the word eyes, like the eyes in our head. And, I, and it says, I believe that our eyes speak louder than our words, We think about our eyes, they're able to do a whole lot of things. They're able to stare, and that can make you uncomfortable. They are able to blink. They're able to clean themselves. They're able to avert if something bad happens or something awkward happens. Our eyes can be inviting for people to join us in a conversation or a personal moment. Our eyes are also pretty good at ignoring things we don't want to see or ignoring people eyes know how to sparkle. Eyes know how to twinkle. Eyes also allow us to not see people for who they really are, or our eyes can play tricks on us and we can see something in someone that nobody else can see. Our eyes are powerful. When we think about this gift of mercy that God gives us, we think about each of our individual roles in that, I think we have to begin by looking into God's eyes. You see, God is the only one that can look into our eyes and see us for who we really are. We can't hide from God. We can't act like a part of our past did not happen, but rather God knows those things and God sees us and God still says, I love you. And I want to use you, and I have called you. An example of mercy. Each and every day, God is wanting to begin a new relationship with us, give us another chance. And we can grow in that when we look God in the eyes and say, here I am. I am ready to do your work. And so we're going to talk more about what that means from the aspect of mercy this morning. Uh, But I briefly want to recap where we've been over the last couple of weeks. Uh, We've been working with a definition of mercy and what that means to us. And so it's up on the screen, and let's say this together. Mercy is undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. Yes, that is what we are working with, and that is what we believe. And we're also working to memorize a passage of Scripture that is uh, the theme for this whole sermon series from the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter, verse 78. And let's say this together as well. A new day will dawn on us because our God is loving and merciful. Our God is loving and merciful. So on our first week of this sermon series, we studied how God can use anyone. God can use anyone to show mercy to another individual, to a group of people, or someplace else in the world. And the next week we talked about uh, how we can show mercy to our families and within our family units and structures, and how we can be merciful to one another. And then last week we wrestled with the difficult topic of how, uh, we, how God works through our failures. We wrestled with the, the knowledge that we all have failures, we all have shortcomings, but God still wants to use us anyway. There is no barrier between us and God that God does not overcome. But this morning, we're going to talk about each of our own individual ministries of mercy. And so as we begin this time, I want you to get out your teaching notes if you've got them with you in your program there, or at least think of an answer in your head uh, to this question that's going to be on the screen as we begin exploring our own ministries of mercy this morning. So where are you currently showing mercy in your life? Can you think of a person? Can you think of a part of your week where you show mercy? And then what would that, your own ministry of mercy, look like? I want you to get that idea in your head. I want you to write it down if that's how you learn best. And we're going to come back to that. We're going to revisit it a few times. And my hope and my prayer is that the Spirit moves In your life this morning and God begins to reveal to you what your own individual of mercy could look like in our church, our community, your families, wherever you go. And so to explore this idea of mercy a little bit more, we're going to look at two different stories that talk about mercy in our world. The first comes from the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, and the second is about a mayor of New York City from a little while ago. So we turn now to the scripture. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. And these are the verses that come at the end of the chapter where Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit of the tree of life. They have broken the one rule that God set before them. We know that we we call that the fall or when the curse of sin entered the world. And God has confronted Adam and Eve. And then we hear this. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Edom cherubim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, to most of us, when we hear those words and we remember the story of Adam and Eve being expelled from the garden, mercy is not the first word that comes to our mind. Perhaps the word punishment is what comes to mind. But I really do believe that this is the first example, the first story in Scripture where we begin to learn about God's mercy. We think about this with Adam and Eve, the first humans created by God. They had one rule and they broke it. They were punished. They were expelled from the garden. And there was that flaming sword that protected the tree of life. And the scripture says, so they would not have access to that tree of life when they had sin in them. And that was a part of who they now were. That tree of life I think now that we have the span of history in our favor and we know the story of Jesus Christ and if we put our faith in him, one day we will return to that garden, that place of peace and perfection where we walk with our God and the sin of the world is no more. You see, to me, this is a story of mercy, the first story of God's mercy, because what do we really deserve uh, because of our sin is eternal separation from what is good and perfect and holy. But rather, God is saying, that is not my plan for you. That is not what I want from you. But rather, I will show you mercy. And in this life, the life we're living right now, we deal with the effects of sin in a broken world. But God is saying, I am merciful. I'm giving you another chance through my son, Jesus Christ, to live an eternal life away from that sin if you trust and believe in me. We return to the garden in our next life, in our eternal life. God shows us mercy from the very beginning, the very first humans in all of history. God extends mercy to us. There's also the story about a New York mayor uh, in the, during the time of the Great Depression and all throughout uh, World War II, uh, and I borrow this story from Father Brennan Mannings in his Ragamuffin Gospel uh, book, and the mayor's name was Fiorello LaGuardia. Uh, He was known as the little flower to the people of New York because he was only five foot four, uh, and he also wore a carnation on his lapel wherever he went. And he was a very uh, candid mayor. He was well loved by his community. Uh, If he would hear a fire truck going by, he would run out of his office. He would jump on the fire truck and go help put out the fire. He would go with the police force and raid the speakeasies of their town to bring justice Uh, He was known for taking entire orphanages to go and see baseball games. And when the New York newspapers were on strike, he would go down to the radio station on Sunday morning and read the funny papers for the children. He was a well-loved and well-respected man. And there was a very cold night in January of 1935 where he decided to go to one of the poorest communities in the city. He went into the courthouse, and he relieved the judge that was on duty uh, that night, and he said, I'll be taking over. A couple of moments go by, and an old, tattered woman gets brought before him. And a shopkeeper says, this woman tried to steal bread from my store, and this is a rough part of the neighborhood or of the city, your honor, and she needs to be punished to teach everyone else in this neighborhood a lesson. And the old woman looked at the judge, at the mayor, and said, Your Honor, my daughter's husband has deserted them. My daughter is sick, and my grandchildren have nothing to eat. I was getting the bread for them because I didn't have money to pay for it on my own. And the judge looked at her and said, Well, I'm sorry, the, the law is the law. I have to sentence you to something. So you can either have 10 days in jail, or you can pay a fine of $10. And as he was announcing the judgment, at the same time he was pulling out a $10 bill of his pocket, he put it in a hat and said, but your fine has been paid. And he said, because everyone else here in this room loves justice so much, I'm also going to institute a new fine for everyone in this room for allowing our city to become a place where A grandmother has to steal bread for her grandchildren to eat, and the fine will be 50 cents. Mr. Bailiff, please collect the fines. $47.50 later, the bewildered woman walked out and was able to buy food for a month for her family. 50 cents of that coming from the storekeeper that brought the charges in the first place. That story speaks to us. We'd all like to think if we were in that position, we would do the same thing. And I think that story connects to our hearts so much because it's the story of the gospel. It's the story of Jesus Christ, where we have offended a holy God with our sins and with our actions and with our words and with our eyes, and yet God says, through Jesus Christ, I find you not guilty of your sin. I show my mercy and my grace to you. I pour out from my throne grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. You see, God makes us rich. God is dwelling in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. He empowers us to be a force for good in the world. God calls us his own adopted children and cares for us so much. It's the same with the story in Genesis. Adam and Eve and throughout history, all of us have offended God, and God says, but I forgive you, I love you, let's try this again. The mayor gave that old, tattered woman just trying to look out for her grandchildren another chance. We can be a people of mercy. We can all have our own ministry of mercy that changes maybe one individual, maybe a community, or maybe the whole world. We never know what our mercy can transform into. So I want you to go back to that, uh, the few words you wrote down when we first started our time together today. Of what does your ministry look like or, or your ministry of mercy look like? What was in your head? How is the spirit moving in you right now? What new ideas have popped into your head? What words have come to your mind? Write those down as well. You see, I can't tell you what your ministry of mercy looks like. I don't know the context of your life in every detail, but I do believe with all that I am that God does, and God wants to use you for a ministry of mercy. Keep track of those words. Write them down if you need to. And I was... Preparing for this sermon, and I was studying mercy and trying to learn as much as I could, see something I had never thought of before, experience something through the power of the Spirit. I began to think, well, I wonder what mercy looks like in God's eyes. If we take that story from the very beginning of Genesis and we work our way through the Old Testament, the New Testament, and to our current day, I wonder what God thinks about all this. And I broke it down into five different steps. And I invite you to uh, fill them in in your teaching notes as we go along. So first, God created humanity. That's the basis of all of this. God created Adam and Eve, and then God created each of us. We believe that we are all created in the image of God. We have value, we have worth, and we have dignity. And then second, God loves us. God created us, God loves us. In that story of creation, a few chapters before what we read, it says uh, God created everything in the heavens and the earth and called it good, and then when God created humanity, he said it was very good. From the beginning, God has found favor in us, and God has loved us. Third is we sin. Sin has been present all throughout the history of the world ever since Genesis chapter 3 finished. We read the, the entirety of the Old Testament and God's chosen people, and we read time and time again how they were wandering in the wilderness or wilderness or whatever was happening in their lives, and the people began to think, "We can do this better on our own, or we don't need God." And then things get bad for them. They run out of food, they get into a war and they lose, they lose their direction, they don't know what to do, and then they remember, "Oh yeah, maybe if we would have stuck with God and what God wanted us to do, none of this would have happened. And so they cry out to God and say, we're sorry, we know we have sinned, we know we have gone against your will, could you please help us? And God shows mercy to them. God shows grace to them, the same mercy and grace that we can experience today. And they say, yeah, but we want a king, or we want a prophet, or we want a judge to help lead us. And God says, okay, and that's temporary, and things are fine, and then the cycle repeats itself again and again and again throughout the Old Testament. And then we get to our fourth point. The Old Testament ends and we begin to hear of this story in the New Testament where a baby is born in a manger in Bethlehem. Jesus comes into the world, our Savior, our Messiah. He goes, he wanders around uh, many different towns performing miracles, showing mercy to all he comes into contact with. And then how does humanity respond? By betraying the Son of God and by killing him. We betrayed Jesus Christ and sentenced him to death on a cross. We are all partakers in that inherited sin. And then, fifth, how does this story end? God shows us mercy. That's the part about God that is so hard for us as humans to grasp and understand. If that something happened to us like it's happened to God time and time again, I don't think any of us would be able to show that kind of mercy to people who have done so much wrong to us. That's convicting to me. That convinces me how desperately I need God in my life to show me the way. I don't have that kind of power. But it shows us that God's mercy is new every day. God's grace is poured out for us, and God is God, and we are not. God is God, and we are not. And that's why our ministry, however big or small, uh, our ministry of mercy is so vital. It is so Important. And the question becomes for each of us, and this is the challenge that we have when we think about our ministry of mercy, as if God is willing to overlook all that we have done and all that we continue to do and still give us a second chance and show us mercy, we have to ask ourselves, what is our excuse for not doing the same? God has always shown mercy to us. And in turn, God wants us to have a robust ministry of mercy to all that we come into contact with. So to have that robust ministry of mercy, and I can't define it for you. I can't tell you exactly what you need to do to check the ministry of mercy off. But I do have a suggestion of a place to start and where God will begin to work in your life. We started our day, our sermon time this morning, talking about our eyes. Now, our eyes have the power to do so much. They have the power to transform the world. And I think to have a ministry of mercy, we have to see the world and the people in it as God sees them. That's where we begin with our ministry of mercy. There's a great song A Christian contemporary artist by the name of Brandon Heath wrote a song called Give Me Your Eyes, and I want to end our time of teaching by listening to these words, and the band can go ahead and make their way back up as well. The word says this, give me your eyes for just one second, give me your eyes so I can see everything that I keep missing, give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so that I can see. So how do we have a robust ministry of mercy in the world? We try to see the world as God sees it and the people in it. And then we do two things. We work as hard as we can to fix it and make it better. And we show mercy as often as we can. Let that be our goal. Amen.